0: How are you? Amen. Well, I was blessed already. The uh, songs that you sang, the first two are two of my favorites. The third one I've never heard before in my life. When you announced the title, I thought I was familiar with it, but it was different than the one I thought about. But um, it's going to be one of my new favorites, I think. But uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, the Lord has blessed our lives in many, many ways over the 35 years of ministry. And with many good friends in ministry, <clears throat> and uh, Rick and Melly Lynn are two of those friends that we've enjoyed knowing for many, many years. Uh, I love coming here. I love getting ideas from here. I'm stealing that one back there. I don't know where you got it from, but I'm getting one of those. I like that. <laughs> And um, I already know where I'm going to put it. So but um, and I love seeing the progress. Last time I was here, there was a wall back there, and the entrance was in that hall, there was a hallway there. And now it's all changed. And I like that. Uh, progress is always what you're looking for in a church. The other thing I like is every time I come here, I meet new people. And that's a healthy church. A healthy church is a growing church, uh, growing in new believers, growing in people added to the church, uh, growing in believers, growing in their faith. And uh, so it's exciting, and I'm thankful for what God is doing here and has been doing for 14 years, and He's not done yet. Amen? Amen. And here's the key. If the church lets the pastor lead following the Holy Spirit of God working in his life, Christ as the head, and the church works together in unity to God's glory, God will continue to do a great work here. And I hope that you'll do your part. I know he'll do his part. And uh, I know God will do his part. Amen? And aren't you glad the Word of God is still quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? Amen? I want to thank you for... uh, Being here today and and all the kindnesses shown to us, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. (laughs) I I love your theme, firm foundation. That that house uh, needs some help, that's for sure. Um, And notice the design of the background there. See, the foundation is subterranean. You don't see it, but it's the most important part of the house. I preached a series on this text many years ago, and I had a slide, some slides that had different buildings. And you know, the taller the building, the deeper the foundation. Amen? And, um, and so the foundation is very, very important. I want you to look, if you would please, at our text today, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. We're going to look at the middle paragraph this morning. And as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story is tonight. So if you're not accustomed to coming out on Sunday night, shame on you. Come back tonight. Because we're going to look at the rest of the chapter tonight, uh, the, 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 the next paragraph. But look, if you would please, at that middle paragraph. The Bible says, for we are laborers together. Say that with me. We are laborers together with God. See, the word for means that what is about to be stated is based on the foundation that is laid in the previous statements. There's two paragraphs before this paragraph, and we're going to look at those in just a second. But the the word for links the paragraphs together in this understanding. And Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, the church at Corinth had many, many problems. Can we agree with that? Not the model church you want to follow in the scriptures. And Paul in the first letter of Corinthians is correcting them. And in this text of scripture, uh, in this paragraph right here, he's correcting them in the divisiveness that was in the church. And it it was all, you know, usually divisiveness in the church is usually not over doctrine. It's usually over personalities and preferences. Be careful about that, church. Don't let Satan use that to attack here. Amen? And we need to keep our focus on the Lord and not on our our desires, but His desires, because it's His church. He's supposed to be the head of it, right? And we need to keep ourselves submitted to Him. For we are laborers together, ye are God's husbandry. Now Paul is writing to them, and he uses we as a collective statement in the fact that all believers everywhere as part of the family of God are laboring together with God wherever they s- serve in his harvest field of souls but then he uses the term ye because he's talking specifically to the church at Corinth and he says you there where you are as a church you are God's husbandry you ye are God's building According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise builder, because Paul was part of the beginning of this church, I have laid the foundation, another built thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Every believer is building on the foundation of Christ. You're building your life. And as you build your life, you're helping to be a tool in God's hand to build His church where you're part of. It goes on and it says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation... And he's talking about the foundation of Jesus Christ, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of the church, the foundation of our Christian life. And then he talks about building materials. Now, any building, the the quality of the building starts with the foundation. But the quality of the building continues with the materials that are used in the construction. And if you use, you may have a great foundation, but if you use sub-quality materials, your house is going to have problems. The foundation may hold it, but the house structure itself is going to have problems. So he talks about the building materials for the Christian life. And he uses he uses things that are that are common in that day and in our day. He uses, first of all, minerals gold silver precious stones and then he uses wood hay and stubble and the first three are not combustible the next three are completely combustible the first three will survive fire if you have gold or silver in your home or precious stones in your home and you have a fire the gold and the silver will still be there. It may not be in the form it was before, but it'll still be there, correct? The precious stones will still be there. They may be a little darkened with smoke, but you can clean them up. They're still there. Now, the the wood probably won't be there. And if you have any any hay used to, they used hay for insulation. Not the best idea. Uh, These days, uh, there's better materials for that, right? But if you use hay, it's going to burn up. And if you use stubble, it's going to burn up. It's going to be gone. There's going to be nothing but ash left over. And then he continues on in verse 13. Every man's work. So we already saw every man stated in verse 10. And here it talks about every man again. Every believer. Every believer's work shall be made manifest for the day, the day, shall declare it. Usually, when you see a term like that, the day, It's talking about judgment. It's talking about judgment day. And here it's talking about the judgment of the believer. The the judgment seat of Christ where we're judged for our faithfulness. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now I'm going to say this in the sermon a little bit later. But let me say it right here just in introduction. Every time you see fire in the Bible... It is about judgment. But every time you see fire in the Bible, it's not about hell. Okay? This fire is not talking about hell. This fire is talking about the judgment of the believer at the judgment seat of Christ. So let's go on and see what's left in this paragraph. If any man's work abideth, which he hath built thereupon, what what are we building on? The foundation. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ, right? So we're talking about saved people building their Christian life after salvation on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about the judgment of Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, judging our life we lived and built after putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not judged for our sin. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for that. In fact, one of the songs spoke about that. He paid the price of our our sin on the cross. Aren't you thankful for that? We're judged for our faithfulness and our faithfulness to the Lord after salvation. It goes on, If any man's work abideth, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive reward. The believer's judgment is for reward. The lost person's judgment is for condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Romans 8.1 And then the last verse of the paragraph, it says, If any man's work shall be burned by the righteous holiness of Jesus Christ, he shall suffer loss. There will be some loss. Not loss of the reward we've already attained, but loss of reward we could have had. I liken this to Moses and uh, coming to the promised land. Moses could not enter the promised land, correct? Right? Why? Because he was unfaithful. He disobeyed God. But what did God allow him to do by His grace? He could look into it. See, Moses could see what could have been for him, but he missed out. See, there's going to be rewards we could have had in heaven, but in the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to miss out on those because of our lack of faithfulness. But thank God, the faithfulness that we did have, we will still be rewarded for. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. But look at the last phrase. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word, and let's dig in to the text. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these that have gathered here in this place Lord we thank you for every member of this church we thank you for every fellow uh, f- uh, faithful attender of this church we thank you for any guests that are here today and we pray that you would bless in this service we pray that you'd work in this service we pray that you would grow believers in their faith that you would draw anyone that doesn't know you as their savior to salvation Lord, if there's anyone that's out of fellowship with you, uh, and they they are not being faithful to you, I pray that today would be a day of rededication to you. And Lord, that most of all, in all things said and done, you will be glorified Is our greatest prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just draw back a little bit here, the the word for in verse 9. As I mentioned before, it links together... This paragraph we're looking at with the previous paragraph. I want to just read through that and give you the the foundation of this text. The Bible says in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So Paul is addressing the problem in the church. And these these are people who have been saved, many of them have been saved for years and they ought to be leaders in the church. They ought to be helping the church be spiritual. They ought to be teachers in the church. They ought to be a spiritual strength to the church. But he calls them carnal, and he calls them babes. The idea of babes is they hadn't grown. Everybody be- begins as a baby, right? Physically, we all begin as a baby, right? But after a few years, there ought to be some progress, right? There ought to be some walking. There ought to be some talking. There ought to be some you know, learning some cognitive skills. There ought to be some of that going on. And that means we have growth. We have progress. The same thing is true for Christians. We all start as babes in Christ. The Bible uses that terminology in, in the book of Timothy. Uh, and and we all start that way. But the Bible also tells us he wants us to grow. In Peter, excuse me. In Peter, he tells us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In in Peter, first Peter two two, it says, "As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby." So God's desire for every believer is to grow, not just for the pastor, not just for the missionary, not just for the mission, the evangelist, not just for the the super Christian. No, every Christian. It, it is the will of God for every lost person to get saved, every saved person to grow. And mature in their faith. And Paul says, part of the problem in the church at Corinth, and let me say this today, part of the problem in any church that is having a spiritual problem in the church is the problem is that Christians aren't growing and walking with God and living to the glory of God. They're carnal and they're babes in Christ. You want to help your church grow? Grow as a Christian. You want to help your church be blessed of God? Be a Christian that God can bless we always talk about God bless America the problem is we don't have enough Americans blessing God that limits the blessing of God But that's not just true nationally that's true in a church family you determine God's blessing on his church that you're part of by his blessing in your life and that's also true in a Christian family every individual from dad to mom to teenager to child every individual in a Christian home they have Total impact on God's blessing in that home. You either help your home be blessed by God, or you limit the blessings of God in your home by how you walk with God, how you honor God, how you grow in the Lord. You can either help it, or you can be—you you can hurt it. I told my kids growing up. I tell my adopted kids growing up. I tell my church family, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. It's as simple as that. Amen. And that's that's true. We need to be part of the solution, amen? We need to be growing in the Lord. And Paul says the problem with this church was they were carnal Christians and they were babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, he says, and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it. Anybody give a child, a baby, a steak? Not a good plan. They don't have cutters, right? (laughs) Anybody here like a steak? One of my favorite things in the world. Amen. I heard that. (laughs) But see, a baby needs milk. There's nutrients in that milk that that baby needs. There's fat in that milk. There's proteins in that milk. That milk is going to help build the muscles of that baby, going to build the bones of that baby, going to build the house of the life of that baby. Now, at my age... I probably need more milk than I drink, but I also need meat, right? Because at my age and my size, I need more protein content than is in that milk. I need more antibodies uh, than is in that milk. I need more things to build my muscles than is in that milk. And my friend, Paul says he could not give them meat because they were not even able to handle it. You hurt your church by your own walk with God being not what it ought to be. You help your church by your walk with God being what it ought to be. He goes on and he says, part of the problem was their divisiveness over personalities. He says, while one saith I am of Paul, another say I am of Apollos, the carnal. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers, all we are are servants of God but you believe in the Lord that's the one that really matters I've planted Paul watered but God's the one that gave the increase he's the one that's most important not Paul not Paulus but God we need to keep our focus on the Lord amen we need to honor him in our lives and that's what draws us to this paragraph and I want us to dig into the paragraph that we read and let's look at some things that we can gain to help us in our walk with the Lord to be a helper in our church. First of all, I want you to see, who we are in Christ is what matters most in life. Paul says we are laborers together. Now, anybody ever been a laborer in any type of job? Anybody? I was a laborer. Uh, Rick graduated from being a laborer. He did more skilled stuff. I just did a... I was a laborer in a project at my house just recently. There was a really smart guy who knew how to do the flooring. I was just his helper, that's all I was. I brought him material, I took away trash. That's what I did, that's what a laborer did, does. When I was in college, I, was, I worked on a high-rise uh, condominium right on the Gulf Coast where I grew up, and uh, that I was a laborer. We brought in things they needed, And when they were done using them, we cleaned up the mess and brought in the next things they were going to use. Laborers work, right? Labor, work kind of goes together, right? And Paul says, we are laborers together. That means we're laborers together with one another, right? You labor with your pastor. You labor together. The the ladies conference that just took place, you know, that took a lot of labor, right? Now, Sister Melanie couldn't do it all by herself. She had a team of people involved in that. And some of those teams weren't even some some of that team wasn't even ladies, right? Because us guys were uh, cooking and serving and cleaning and all of that kind of stuff yesterday, right? So there's a lot of labor that went into that conference, right? And that's the way it ought to be. We're laborers together with one another. But notice the phrase here. It says laborers together with one another, but laborers together with God. My friend, you can do all kinds of work, but if God's not involved, not a whole lot's going to get accomplished for eternity, right? see we need the blessing of God and that's what Paul starts off in the beginning of this chapter it doesn't really matter who Paul is it doesn't really matter who Apollos is God can use anybody he wants to God is the factor that cannot be missed out on uh, Paul he doesn't have to be involved but God has to be involved Paulus, he doesn't have to be involved but God has to be involved Amen. and that's the way it is in a, in a church God's gotta be part of the equation Paul doesn't matter. Apollos doesn't matter. I don't matter. each of us don't matter individually, but what does matter individually is God working in all of our lives together to his glory. Amen. See the key is working but working together, working together with God. See he also says ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. You know, God is the originator of everything. The Bible makes this clear in the Old Testament. One of my favorite texts, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. In in Psalm 102, it says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of thy hands. He He calls the believer... In the church at Corinth, the husbandry of God, the building of God. But that includes all of creation. God is the originator of all of creation. But you know what? God's also the re- originator of our faith, right? We wouldn't have salvation without God. We wouldn't have salvation without Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the originator of our faith. He is the one that paid the price. We are complete in Him and only in Him. He's what really matters in our salvation. We don't do anything to gain our salvation but to admit that we need it to the one who makes it possible. Amen. You don't save you. You just ask the one who can save you to save you and you admit you need it because of your sin. Amen. He's the one that saves you. He's also the one that grows you. But just like you make yourself available for salvation by admitting your need and turning to Him in faith and asking Him to cleanse you, the same is true to grow as a Christian. You have to make yourself available and ask Him to work in your heart. You've got to get into the Word and feed on the Word so it can nourish you and grow you. But He's the one that grows you and matures you and uses you to His glory in your life individually and in your life collectively as a church family serving Him. Amen? He's the one that does it. He is, you cannot accomplish anything for eternity without Him being involved. Nothing. See, He's the originator. He's the originator of creation. He's the originator of life. He's the originator of church. He's the originator of faith. He's the originator of it all. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. He is the foundation of His church. He's also the head of the church. Jesus is the one that said in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. He's it. He's what matters most. You know what? The grace of God and the amazing thing is that he's willing to let us be involved in the process. Isn't that a great thing? (laughs) I mean, he's willing to come live inside of us to help us him glory he's willing to use us to spread his gospel around the corner and around the world he's willing to allow us to come before him and to worship him and bring him glory my friend if he didn't make that possible it wouldn't be possible aren't you glad he's willing to do that amen aren't you glad he made that possible see he says, we, ye are his husbandry." And the idea is fruit. Either you know, a vineyard or orchard, but husbandry has to do with the work engaged in bringing forth the fruit. You know, an orchard or a vineyard needs several things that the husbandman does to bring forth good fruit. They've got to do some pruning. A tree that is not taken care of and maintained it's going to have a lot of wood and not a lot of good fruit. So it's got to be pruned, it's got to be fertilized, it's got to be watered. And that fruit, that fruit is not useful unless somebody harvests it, right? I'm going to get home tomorrow and I'm going to have a bunch of pears on the ground and a bunch of plums on the ground because I'm not there to pick them up right now. I'll have to pick them up when I get back, right? They're not going to pick themselves up, right? See, a husbandman, a husbandry, or a husbandry requires a husbandman. That's the work behind the orchard or the vineyard. And he says, Ye are God's building. It's God's building. He's the one that has to build it. Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, you may swing a hammer, right? but this building is not the church this morning I said good morning church I wasn't talking to that wall right I was not talking to that microphone I was talking into that microphone actually I was talking into this one I was talking to you right the people are the church not the building see God's gotta build you in your life in order to build his church he says, ye are God's building, and God wants to use each of you to his glory. Take your Bibles and go to a complimentary text just a couple of chapters away. In chapter 6, if you would please, look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. It says, know ye not that your bodies are the, are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and, and make them a member with a harlot? That's why one of the things that you can do to hinder God's blessing in your church and in your life is sin. That's exactly what he's talking about here. He's talking about sexual sin specifically. But anytime we engage our life in sin, instead of honoring the Lord, we limit the blessing of God in our lives. He says, God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined into a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But, ye, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And then he says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth, doth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And then look at verse 19 and 20. This is the whole point of everything he said about why we do not need to use our bodies for sin, but for his glory what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own for you are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's we can be used to the glory of God the only way we can be used to the glory of God is to be in Christ to have that foundation of Jesus Christ for our faith and then to grow on that foundation to let god build into our lives to mature us and strengthen us in our faith so we can greet bring him greater glory and that he makes that all possible but we've got to see ourselves as his building he dwells within us when we trust jesus as our savior amen and he also works in us and he also uses us to his glory to do his work on earth And when you gather in this building not only are you the temple of God but this building becomes the house of God because the people of God are meeting inside of it. Amen. Because he is in you and you bring him in here. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Amen. And we worship him together. And we need to grow as his building in our lives. You know When the Bible talks about the church, it always talks about God building it. You know the thing that God talks about man building, that's an object of worship? All through the Bible? Idols. See, when we start trying to build it our way, you know what we're building? An idol. And an idol takes away from the glory of God, not adds to it. And to think you say, "Well, I'm saved. I'm not I don't worship idols. I worship the Lord." Well, actually, if you're the one that's manipulating and putting it together and getting it all accomplished all on your own, it actually is not of the Lord. It is actually of you, and that really is an idol, isn't it? So you got to be careful who's building. You got to make sure the Lord's building in your life. You got to make sure you're building the way he wants it built. You need to make sure you're following his blueprints. You know, when you build a building, you got blueprints. And there's structural blueprints, like the part you see, but there's also blueprints that give specifications on the foundation. And a builder, the the builder you want to build your house is a builder who knows how to read those blueprints. (laughs) And to follow those blueprints and not go rogue and do his own thing. You want him to follow the prince. My friend, God's given us the blueprints for how he wants our lives to be built to his glory. And if we're not in the book, we're not building the way he wants it built. And it's great to come to church and get in the book, but my friend, he wants to work in your life at home alone with him where you're getting into the word and you're reading it and you're letting him speak to your life. You're letting him grow you even beyond what the Lord does through the pastor here when you gather together together. I want you to see also we are to be careful how we build on this foundation. Look if you would please in verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a master, wise master builder, I have laid the foundation; another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth. The found, we got a, every building begins with a foundation. In fact, in our area, I don't know what it's like here. Back in the old days, they did not build houses on foundations. And if you buy one of those and you try to get a mortgage on it, you're not going to get it. Unless you put the foundation under it, <laughs> and here the the God, our Paul says, "I've laid the foundation." That's Jesus Christ. He witnessed it. He shared the gospel with them. They got saved by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus became their foundation. Paul was the one that communicated that truth to them. But we all have to start with that foundation. You know, there's no foundation that is eternal, for your life, but Jesus Christ. That's it. The only firm foundation that will be firm for eternity, for your life, is Jesus Christ. That's it. You cannot, and that's the sad thing, I see there's young people in this room, and that's a great thing. Young people, your faith cannot be dependent on your parents. Because as soon as you're out of their house, then what do you have? Your faith has to be founded on Jesus Christ. Now your parents may be an example. They may be an influence, and praise the Lord if they are. But sooner or later, as a young person... And it's better as a teenager than it is even as a young adult. But sooner or later, if you're going to keep walking with God, if you're going to keep growing in the Lord, if you're going to keep bringing glory to God and and, and being used to His glory as a child of God, your faith has got to become your own. Not only in knowing Jesus as your Savior, but growing in Him. It's got to be yours. You've got to make it yours. Here in this text, we see... That we have to to lay that foundation for our faith, for our eternity on Jesus Christ. And then we've got to build, but we've got to use good building materials. And he talks about gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are the right building materials. Why? They're eternal. Wood, hay, and stubble, that's not. And the description of that is faithfulness and non-faithfulness. See, when you're obedient to God, you're being faithful. When you're obedient to worship, you're being faithful. When you're obedient to walk with God and pray and listen to his spirit and wait on the Lord, you're being faithful. When you're being obedient to use your talents and gifts that God's given you to his glory and ministry, you're being faithful. When you're witnessing to the lost and helping to spread the gospel and giving to missions, you're being faithful. When you give a tithe unto the Lord because of His blessing in your life, you're being faithful. All of that is gold, silver, and precious stone. And when you're doing those things, when you're walking with God and you're being faithful to Him, that's gold, silver, and precious stone. And you're building your life to His glory. But when you're not doing that, you know what that is? Being unfaithful. You say, Pastor, that's sin. You're right. It is sin. But the sin's judged on the cross. But what you're judged for is your faithfulness or unfaithfulness. See, the judgment of our sin is taken care of in Jesus Christ. But the judgment of our faithfulness is taken care of us stand before Jesus Christ. And it's not our sin that's going to hinder us, it's our faithfulness, our lack thereof, that's going to hinder us. When I'm not spending time in prayer, talking to God, I'm not being faithful. That's wood, hay, and stubble. When the Holy Spirit prompts me to hand somebody a gospel track, or when I'm at a restaurant, I was, I was irritated with myself. I was at a restaurant last night, and I paid the bill, and I looked in my wallet for a gospel track, and I didn't have one. I was so irritated. But I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I took one of my business cards, and I wrote, Thank you, Damon. And I, point, and I put an asterisk by the, the, the website and said, Look that up right there. Hopefully he does. I don't know. But if he goes to our website, he'll see the gospel. If he hears one of our messages, he'll hear the gospel. See, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I don't want, I got way too much wood, hay, and stubble already. I don't need any more. I need to be faithful. See, we need to be careful what we build with, we need to do God's will, we need to live out God's holiness. And we need to follow the blueprint of God's word. I want you to see also the foundation of our faith determines the outcome of our life. Paul says in verse 11, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That, that matters, that is everything in life and eternity. What you do with Jesus, that is your greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Some people will ignore Jesus, they won't make it to heaven. Some people will entertain Jesus, but not embrace Jesus. That won't get them to heaven. But my friend, if you will trust Jesus as your Savior, if you will believe what He did on the cross to pay the debt of your sin, if you'll believe that He died and He buried and He rose again the third day and He's victorious over death, sin, and the grave and He can give you victory and He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and He and He is your Savior, my friend, that foundation will take you to eternity. Amen. And that foundation will give you the best life you can live while you're here too if you'll stay faithful to Him. See, the foundation of your life determines everything, for life and for eternity. There's only one eternal foundation, and it's the same for everybody. It's Jesus Christ. People have this idea, there's, there's all kinds of ways to heaven. There used to be a song, The Gospel Train, and it talked about all these cars. Well, guess what? All those cars aren't going the same place because they're not saying the same thing about Jesus. Can we all agree that every church out there does not believe the same about Jesus? Can we all agree that every church out there doesn't believe the same about how to get saved? They don't. And it's the same for everyone. It doesn't matter what church you go to. What matters is what you believe about Jesus. The problem is there's a lot of churches that are not helping people believe correctly about Jesus. They're not helping people go to heaven. They're actually helping people go to hell. I think that's part of Satan's strategy, too, by the way. He wants to keep them deceived and sin. He doesn't want to hear the truth. See, Jesus is the only foundation for any person's life for eternity. Jesus is the only one that laid down his life as the foundation of our faith. There's a lot of churches who believe you get saved through their church. That's why baptism is a big thing in those churches. And it's such a big thing, they do it when they're babies. You know, no baby I know ever has been able to admit their sin to God. None. Babies can't do that. They do not have the cognitive ability to do that. But what those churches believe is, you get to heaven through their church. So they baptize the baby so he's safe to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. The only way to get to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to hear the gospel according to Ephesians chapter 1. You've got to hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you've got to believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior. So you have to have enough cognitive understanding to believe you're a sinner, to understand who Jesus is and what he did, so he he could save your soul. Now, thankfully, at the age of eight, I grew up going to church. I grew up in a Christian home. And at the age of eight, it dawned on me one day at church camp, listening to the preacher preach, that my sin was against God. That was the first time I ever realized that. Now, I'm sure I heard it before, but that day it got my attention. Now, I knew I was a sinner. I got spanked all the time. So there's no question I was a sinner. But my mom usually was spanking me, sometimes my dad. So my sin was against them, right? But not just against them, it was against God too. See, that day I realized my sin was against God, and that was a more serious problem, my sin being against my parents. That's the day it dawned on me, I got a big problem. I need Jesus to save me, because my sin's against God. See, we determine how we build our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We determine if any man build upon this foundation. We, Every one of us determine that in our life. You can't say, when you stand before Jesus, guess what? It's just going to be you. You can't say, well, my pastor, he literally wasn't that good. It won't work. It's you. Well, my wife kind of drug me down. She's not going to be there. It's you. My kids, they were just a handful. I just didn't have any time to walk with God. No, you. there are no excuses, nobody to blame. It's just you and Jesus. That's it. You determine how you build your Christian life. You determine how you yield to God in your life. You determine. You know, there's a lot of things we do not have total control over in our life. You don't have total control over your health. You can eat right, exercise right do everything right and still get cancer right or even have a heart attack right you you don't have total control over your health now you do influence your health but you do not have total control over your health but there's one thing everybody here everybody here has total control over your faithfulness to god and that's what you're going to be judged for that's it you determine how you build life. You determine if you make Jesus the foundation of your life. You determine that. Nobody can get saved for you. You have to trust Jesus as your Savior. You determine that foundation. You determine your faithfulness. You determine how you build your life. And guess what else? You determine your obedience to God. You determine your yieldedness to Him. That's how you build. But you also will give an account for your life to the Lord. Every man's work shall be made manifest. You know how many people living on the face of the earth are going to answer to the Lord? Every single one. <laughs> Every single one. There's two judgments the Bible talks about. The great white throne judgment, that's for the lost. That's for their condemnation for eternity in sin. That's going to be a sad day. But the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. The believer. So when the Bible says every one of us must give an account for our lives, that's exactly what it means. Every one of us must give an account for our lives. Saved or lost, we must all give an account. There are so many scriptures that speak to this Old and New Testament. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, I am the God of Abraham. And he says, I am the God of the living and the dead. He's he's in charge of everybody. In Romans chapter 14, it says... For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He's in charge of everybody. Everybody's going to account to him. In Philippians it says, Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow. But for the lost person, it's going to be too late. But every one of us must give an account for our lives. In Acts 10 it says, It says, that God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, the saved and the lost. In 2 Timothy 4, it says the same thing, the judge of the quick and the dead. In 1 Peter 4, it says, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Jesus Christ is the judge of the quick and the dead, the saved and the lost. Everybody's going to answer him. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor, there's that term again, labor, whether present or absent, we may be accepted to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us is going to give account to God. Every one of us is going to be judged by Jesus. The question is, how's that judgment going to go? You determine that. You determine if it's all wood, hay, and stubble or quite a bit of gold and silver and precious stone or a little bit of both. You determine that. But there's not a single person that's ever walked the face of the earth that's not going to give an account to the the Lord for their life. The believer must face judgment day for faithfulness. Our life lived after being born again. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged with the world. My friend, when you get right, that fixes everything. Amen? You got sin in your life, get it right today. Repent of it today. Start walking with God today. Get things right so God can bless your life today. Amen? Get back to being faithful. See, our sin causes us to not be faithful. And we're judged for that unfaithfulness. The service we do with the Lord in His kingdom work on earth, that's our faithfulness to Him. God will reward the believer in eternity for their faithfulness. The Bible here says, every man's work that abideth, that which he hath built thereon, he shall receive reward. Aren't you glad that God is faithful to bless us for our faithfulness? Amen. Unfaithfulness is that wood, hay, and stubble. Wasted opportunities. Unused gifts and abilities. Not worshiping God, instead worshiping something else. Not serving God, instead serving something else. Not honoring God, instead honoring something else. Not being engaged in the Great Commission, but doing our own thing. That's unfaithfulness. That's wood, hay, and stubble. Faithfulness is Lord, is What you're doing here, you're being faithful. You're in the house of God on the Lord's day. Worshiping the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. You got that one straight. Amen. Amen. Now the question is, what are you going to do next time? (laughs) Be faithful. See, faithfulness is worshiping the Lord and bringing glory to Him. Faithfulness is being a witness and serving the Lord. Faithfulness is honoring Him through the practice of living out His truth in our life every day. Faithfulness is doing His will in my life to His glory. That's faithfulness. And God promises to bless that faithfulness. As I mentioned before, fire in the Bible always speaks of judgment, that it doesn't always speak of hell. The fire that's mentioned in this, where is that? That's in heaven. This fire is in heaven. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ judging our life of faithfulness or unfaithfulness to Him. It's not in hell. This fire is not in hell. This judgment's not in hell. This is in heaven. This is for believers. This is only for believers. That's where a lot of people get mixed up on. On, on salvation and eternal security, when they see all judgment as, as, you know, for the lost. No, it's for us too. See, this fire is from the Lord. It's not. It's not involving Satan at all. This fire is for reward, not for condemnation. This fire is purification, not punishment. My friend, one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. And His righteousness is going to examine my life. And it's going to purify it. Because all the wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. All that's going to be left is ashes. But any faithfulness that I've achieved with His help, by yielding to Him and letting Him work through me, He will bless that. Here's a question, a sobering question I want you to think about as we close this service. What is your accountability day going to be like? What is the judgment seat of Christ going to look like for you? Somebody wrote a book, and in that book they said, begin with the end in mind. You need to look at eternity. You need to look at the judgment seat of Christ now so you can live now preparing for that. You say, Pastor, you're making me feel guilty. You shouldn't make me feel guilty. I came to church to feel good. I'm just telling you the truth to try to help you. What you do with it is between you and God. I can't determine that. But I do want to ask you a question. When you look at Jesus, the one who died on the cross for your sins, here's a simple question. What do you want to show for the life he paid for? The life you lived with him. What do you want showing for that i would dare say any saved person in this room would want more gold silver and precious stones than they would ashes left over from wood hay and stubble you determine that in your life i determine that in my life let's pray <clears throat> With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, uh, God's challenged my thinking this morning and and uh, I, I trust he has yours as well. and uh, in a moment, uh, Ashley's gonna play the piano. I want to encourage you if God has spoken to your heart, you need to respond to that calling, that that work in your heart. And, is there anybody who would say, Pastor, uh, God has spoken to my heart this morning? Would you would you pray for me? If there's anybody who would, would like me to pray, Amen. I see your hand. Uh, several hands. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, well, I want to give you an opportunity to to respond to that. The altar is here. This is a